Welcome to The Common Share, a podcast about the opportunities and challenges of developing cooperative businesses. The Common Share is produced by Cooperatives First, a business development organization that increases awareness and understanding of the co-op business model and supports cooperative business development in rural and Indigenous communities across Western Canada. For a backgrounder on co-ops and a better way to do business, visit our website, cooperativesfirst.com. The site has great resources and business development tools for groups forming new ventures. I'm Asa Marshall, and I'm here today with Fred Conje. Fred is a longtime resident of Saskatoon and loves to be involved in all things to do with community economic development, as well as co-ops and social enterprise. His 15-year career path has covered a variety of areas, including nonprofit co-op housing, community economic development, co-op and social enterprise business development, housing policy development, and social financing. During his time as a co-op development officer, Fred supported the development of more than 25 emerging and existing co-ops throughout Saskatchewan. Fred holds two undergraduate degrees from the University of Saskatchewan, a Bachelor of Arts in Psychology and in Sociology, and he received his MBA in Community Economic Development from Cape Breton University. His greatest work is serving as a husband and proud father of two. Thanks very much for being in the studio today, Fred. Well, thank you for having me. I'm excited to be here. First, can you just introduce yourself a bit and and your time in co-op development with the Saskatchewan Cooperative Association? What kind of projects did you work on? So I've been, I guess I was working for the uh, Saskatchewan Cooperative Association, I believe, in 2010. And my role was really to support um, co-ops of all sizes and nature and just be uh, a technician. I could be a psychologist. I could be a counselor. Um, anything that they really need to move forward as a business. And so during my four years doing that, it was really focused on incorporating businesses, helping them with business plans, um, connecting them with the right resources and financing. That's great. And so did you have a favorite project that you worked on or even a favorite type of cooperative that you, you helped with? Actually, my most memorable co-op was actually the first co-op I helped out. It was on a First Nations reserve and they're wanting to do a market garden um, worker co-op. And so it was uh, intimidating because I wasn't actually expert in that area, but I helped them along the process. Um, they, they became incorporated, started working, and created some great partnerships. And so that's probably the most memorable. And um, the one that comes to mind uh, that's closest to heart is supporting the Saskatoon Car Share Co-op. Uh, I helped them in their incorporation, and I bought in so much I decided to just be a founding member and I believed in it and now they're expanding so it's pretty exciting to be part of something like that. Very cool and I can also report that Fred showed up today in a car from the Saskatoon Car Share Co-op. Yep. So you came to our office a little while ago and we did a discussion kind of a lunch and learn with you and you discussed your top five lessons that you learned from your time in the in the co-op sector in co-op development and so that's what I wanted to talk to you about today is touching on those five points because we, as an organization, learned a lot from those and we thought we'd really like to share those with, uh, with our podcast listeners. So I'll just start out by lifting them and you can uh, kind of sure. elaborate on the points. So the first one that you told us is that co-op development is hard. So what did you mean by that? Why is it difficult? So I think when I when I said that is that some people have an idea of what a co-op is, but when it comes to the nitty-gritty... Um, it's it's very much the challenge of bringing a large group of people together for a single goal and figuring out that single goal, but then staying motivated, having the right people at the table, having the energy to push it forward, and realizing the timelines are probably a bit longer than starting up a partnership or sole proprietorship. 
um, specifically when it comes to understanding what the community needs, getting that community support, and then making sure you have a business type structure that can last for as long as the members need it. Mm-hmm. As far as it, the actual process of setting up a co-op as opposed to another kind of business, is that something people need more support in or is that um, something that people can do if they have the capacity? I think now um, things are a bit different when I was a co-op developer. We had some specific legislative barriers and policy barriers that wouldn't allow the incorporation or at least a speedy process because people weren't familiar. Um, So it wasn't necessarily about the co-op structure itself. It was about awareness and education of those who oversee the incorporation process. So we educated them. We removed some barriers and just made the process much smoother. Um, One big thing that I would recommend for anyone starting a co-op is um, getting a good set of bylaws. They're not necessarily reinventing the wheel, but depending on your structure and what you want to do, that will speed up the process quite significantly. Mm -hmm. And I should add here too at uh, Cooperatives First, we are available to help co-ops that are either starting up or reviewing their bylaws. We're available to review those and give feedback on on making sure that those are strong documents. Mm -hmm. And just as a side note, when we were doing that, when we changed that particular step, it doubled the number of of co-ops being incorporated because a number of people were applying, but they kept on getting rejected by the, I guess at the time was the it wasn't ISC, but another government agency, and they would just reject every application. And so by educating them and removing those barriers, it increased the number of co-ops in the larger ecosystem. Wow, that's really interesting. Mm-hmm. Um, did you see an emergence of any particular type of co-op at that time or just in across the board? I think there was a trend to more urban type co-ops. So you would see the startup of the car share co-op. You'd see a worker co-op that focused on sustainable uh, food. Um, you would see a, a, t- driven towards a younger demographic, for sure. And so on that point, too, then, you mentioned there was more urban interest. Is it harder to incorporate in either an urban or rural environment? Is there a difference between those two? Um, I would almost say it's easier in a rural environment, but this is very dated experience. Um, things may have changed since I've been deep in the game. What I found is that a number of the folks from rural areas had a closer tie to community and were able to rally resources and experts because they were already forming their own co-ops in the history or they had an older demographic that knew what a co-op was and was able to educate. And so there's an existing credit union, there's a retail co-op, and perhaps a equipment co-op for, for farmers when it comes to agriculture. So they were familiar and just needed the incorporation process. So in, in making maybe co-op development less hard, you're hoping that more education is going gonna, is gonna to help with the process. Education is key. Um, it's, uh, yeah, it's key to the survival of co-ops in general. Mm-hmm. I can move on to, to point number two, which is that co-ops aren't different from other businesses. So can you elaborate on that one? I think there seems to be a desire to say that co-ops are different, perhaps from a values and even business practice perspective. When it comes to the nitty-gritty, they, they are like a business. Even if you're a nonprofit co-op, you need to be able to produce value and give that back to your membership, either in a social or perhaps economic benefit. But in the end, you need resources, you need funding, specifically in dollars, and you need to produce something that people were willing to exchange for some of something else. And so um, what I wanted to drive home with that point was the entrepreneurial spirit is within the cooperative movement. And so people need to bring that into their practices to address whatever issue that they want to, to take on. 
That's interesting. Um, I was at a conference, I think in the last year or so, where there was a presentation of someone presenting about what co-ops are. And in this presentation, the person basically put up a chart that had co-ops versus businesses, as if co-ops were somehow separate from business. Mm -hmm. And so I, I was surprised to see that because we really try to talk about it as just another business model. So is is there a, a framing even within the co-op sector, maybe, of, of co-ops being different that has set behind maybe why there's this perception out out there in the world? I think that's a, that's a tough one for me. Mm -hmm. Like, I, once again, I only can speak from my experience and what I've witnessed. Mm -hmm. um, I think it's a bit of a disadvantage to folks to create that versus perspective um, because traditional businesses fulfill that function as well, and they could be supporters of cooperatives. And so being framing it in a certain way to make co-ops unique, I think is important, but I think that's very much on the value side, not necessarily on the operations side. And so to have that business perspective of making sure you have enough money coming in versus going out, um, realizing that people are driven by many sort of perspectives, not just their values or what they think is right, but they also have economic needs. Um, will only strengthen cooperatives in, in being able to see people to see them as a viable option and not just perhaps a charitable work. When groups that we're working with are looking for financing, we often tell them to go to credit unions first because credit unions obviously inherently understand the co-op model. But do you think that other traditional lenders might have a harder time understanding what a co-op is or, or getting behind a cooperative? It's very much a barrier when I was when I was working as a co-op development officer, specifically on ownership and equity and being able to understand that concept. And I think there is some specialized sort of education and even accounting that focuses on that. So people can, or at least um, lenders and, and financial institutions can wrap their heads around it. And to be totally honest, within the credit union system, we still face that challenge as well. Being able to truly meet the need of a co-op and understanding their their lending needs, specifically on loans, um, even different banking products and things like that, is a is a challenge because it's not part of the mainstream in general in the conversation. So we try and educate as many people within the co-op system, right, and not to forget the uniqueness of co-ops and credit unions. Uh, but I think there's still a lot of work to be done with traditional financial institutions and even um, government agencies that provide financing at a, at a or more flexible financing have particular policies and also perspectives that aren't necessarily friendly to cooperatives. Mm -hmm. And I know the you know the federal government used to have the a CDI a cooperative development initiative funding, which is no longer there. Mm -hmm. um, has government gotten away in in other ways from supporting cooperatives as well? Do you think? I think government has different objectives and outcomes that they're trying to achieve. And so for them, there's an educational component as well, but also a political component, um, to be totally honest. And so when a certain government is being run by a party, they may not be familiar with the co-op model. And so it's not at the top of their, their policy platform to support them. And so it's I think it's our job within the co-op sector to have that conversation um, to be frank and honest with them, but also to show the benefits, um, especially when it comes to Saskatchewan's history uh, specifically. Not not very many people understand that part of our history and how can we do a compelling story to get people interested, not just 
within government, but the general public to gain that support. Um, how that's done, that's that's beyond my pay grade, to be totally honest. And so I know when you when you came to speak to us, you talked about the key factors of starting up um, co-ops being a solid business plan and also being willing to invest your own money. So can you mm-hmm. elaborate on that a little bit? Why are those things important for the startup of a cooperative? Yeah, I think, um, you know, I'll start with um, the business plan specifically. That's essential for any sort of business operation. So it goes back to my previous point of that it is a business, right? And some people sort of get intimidated by the idea of a business plan. Um, so there's tons of information and supports out there. It's not rocket science and you're not reinventing the wheel just because you're a co-op. But that business plan is essential for your next steps, understanding your market specifically and the size of your market because you may not be fulfilling a need. And a feasibility plan and a business plan will tell you in the numbers. Sometimes it's a hard truth and a co-op may not be the best model or it may not be meeting the need that people are, are, are wanting specifically. And so I think a business plan is key. I, I, I can't reiterate that enough. Uh, but also an investment of your own dollars, uh, be it for a nonprofit or for-profit, that capital has to come from the community. Um, it's not going to come from investors because they have very different incentives, but community investors who want to provide that patient capital, either in the form of a no-interest or low-interest loan or actual membership shares, whatever is best for, for fundraising and depending on the, on the co-op. Um, that shows community support, and that shows if they do need to go get financing that there is money to back this particular endeavor, right? Yeah, that's a good point. And so your your third point was that legislation is key. Mm-hmm. So what did you mean by, what, why is legislation important? Um, I think it goes back to some of the policies and understandings and barriers that could be there. Um, but it's also because the current legislation, now I'm not too up to date on it, but I'm assuming the Co-op Act has not been updated for close to two, over 20 years. And so because things change and different models are coming up, there is, the the legislation will dictate what's going on, specifically provincial legislation. Now, some provinces are more progressive um, and some are just not caught up with the rest of the world. And so that will be key for future co-op development, but also the type of models that people want to bring to the table. uh, And that'll impact innovation. And if co-ops are not innovative in regards to taking, you know, things that are not necessarily traditional and creating something new, then their relevancy within the larger market won't be there and people won't see it as a viable option. Um, so from, from policy to legislation to regulation, all those things have to be up to date and challenged um, by someone within the co-op sector or perhaps having a conversation within, uh, within government um, to address some of these things. Mm-hmm. Are, you, are you familiar with legislation outside of Saskatchewan? Or is that- yeah, like I'm familiar with uh, British Columbia, Alberta, and Manitoba. Specifically on, on the legislation for co-ops, they allow for a more variety of models that are out there, but they also have different fundraising techniques that would benefit co-ops. For example, um, in Nova Scotia, there's a focus on community economic development sort of credits, where if you invest in, say, a solar co-op, um, you get, uh, I'm just going to make up numbers, don't hold me to this, but say you get a 10% tax credit. And so that encourages people to invest in certain areas, and other provinces have adopted that. So I know that Alberta and Manitoba are very friendly to those type of fundraising. 
uh, efforts. But in Saskatchewan, we're not even aware of the model, or there's not a larger discussion happening. Um, so that has implications for costs, but also for the economy in general. Is there one province in the West specifically that you think has it maybe not right, but um, where you think the environment is is good for co-op development? Um, that's a good question. For There's a combination of, of government and economy, right? So for, and this is just based on memory, I'm thinking Manitoba is probably the most co-op friendly. Mm-hmm. Um, but for when it comes to the number of co-ops being created, I'm not 100% sure. I'd want to say Okay, in the West, I was going to say Quebec because yeah. Quebec is like this dreamland it's of co-ops. <laughs> um, but um, Saskatchewan used to be. Saskatchewan used to be the leader in co-op development. And if you actually look at the number of co-ops compared to the population, we're still leaders. We're just not creating new ones. Um, and Alberta has, has over time, been very co-op friendly. Um, even depend, doesn't matter which government has been in place. They've, they've been adaptive because they see the desire within the community for it. And they're very responsive to what's going on on the ground, which I find very interesting too. And so um, you mentioned Quebec as the promised land of, mm-hmm. of co-ops. Do you know why, like, what is it about Quebec that they've done right that maybe other provinces might be able to adapt? I think what they've done right, and it's not necessarily because of government, but just the groundswell of people that have adopted the co-op model, they have a unique history um, but they also have legislation that's very friendly. But they've also created these co-op schools, these co-op business development agencies that are funded by the co-op sector, right, and not dependent totally on government, but have a close tie having conversations there. So they're sort of this this anomaly, which is Quebec in general has some unique characteristics to it that lend to it. So you can't necessarily replicate what they have, but there's some key pieces of infrastructure that helps in the development of co-ops educating people and um, even from a cultural but also too from um, I guess co-op development perspective. Great. So number four uh, of your points was that ecosystem matters. Yeah and I think that speaks to the Quebec example um, having that infrastructure. So one of the things I brought up in our talk um, with your group was that experts in the area of accounting and law and even policy being able to feed back into the co-op development system is really important. Um, one of the challenges we faced uh, with, with the uh, Saskatchewan Cooperative Association is that we could only lead groups to a certain stage where they needed to have expertise. And being able to tap into that uh, within an ecosystem that has a lawyer who can say, you know what, I can draw up all your information necessarily quite as easily because I understand your structure and I understand what co-ops are. That's uh, rare if you between within Saskatchewan. So I think an ecosystem that has people at different stages of a co-op business's development will help in accelerating the development of co-ops. Um, even having unique perspectives from uh, from an Indigenous perspective too and, and remote rural communities, if they don't have that expertise that's readily available, having some kind of infrastructure across, across the province to help them would, would make a big difference too. And so how do you think co-op organizations that are out there, how can we help facilitate that process? Do you think what's a good best practice there? And yeah, I know that your group and yeah, even the Center for the Study of Co-ops has done a lot of research on that, uh, specifically where the gaps are. I think for, for being able for co-op organizations, first of all, we need to get together and know what is going on. 
right? I'd, I'm not going to advise on doing anything because I don't understand the current like, ecosystem as it stands because there's been a lot of changes, mm-hmm. but people's situations have changed. The economy has changed. Um, I think for from a strictly funding perspective, there needs to be more more funding to support co-op development. Um, that should come from the co-op sector taking the lead. And so I think that would be a big difference because it just hiring more co-op developers to get out there and specifically handhold for some or provide guidance for others will speed up the process. And we need we need cheerleaders, right, to being able to, to speak to that. Uh, so I think that's the onus of the co-op sector based on our co-op principles. If we were to stick to them, I guess principle, principle number six would be right up there, which is cooperation amongst co-ops, by the way, for those who don't know. <laughs> Excellent. Um, and so it, it brings us to our last point there, Fred, that, that the future of co-ops is non-traditional. Mm-hmm. Um, what did you mean by that? Um, I think it speaks to what's going on demographically. Um, and I'm going to stick to Saskatchewan, but it's, there's constant urbanization of our population. And so we can't use the old sort of structures that were good for their time. They're meant to meet a certain need, but some people fall back on that structure to sort of speak to the current issue. Now, there's a lot of things in our history that we need to keep in regards to education, in regards to understanding overcoming barriers and the resources needed, but the current structures and institutions that we have are not necessarily speaking to the need of people right now. So, for example, and I'm not talking about anything relatively new, it could be the use of a bike co-op, right, or a car share co-op. Those are very urban-focused structures, right, and being able to understand what the need is. And so co-ops need to speak to the need, and we need to really understand what that is because there's some things that co-ops can do and some things that they can't, right? We can't build Boeing 747s. That's not... That's not necessarily a cooperative thing, and you need large corporate structures and outside investment and different structures that way. But if it's a tool co-op to help people's, people save money and also use less and be more environmentally friendly, I think that makes a lot of sense, right? Um, so we need to step out of our comfort zone. We need to understand what's out there, but not be afraid to change it up a little bit, which may actually ruffle some feathers within the co-op structure or co-op system. And so speaking to that, having that general conversation, uh, I'm having the courage to, to sort of push the boundaries, even though it challenges our current, um, current systems that we have. So it sounds like what you're saying is that the co-op model should be very appealing to millennials. Yeah, it, sh- it should speak to millennials. Um, it should speak to their personal situation, but also their general desire to be part of a, something bigger, right? And I think that speaks to humanity. When I encounter millennials, quote-unquote, I'm doing air quotes for those who can't see, they're not that different, right? Their situation's different, but their sense of humanity, their sense to be a part of something bigger is still there. And it's it's something that is, I think, universal. And that's the great thing about co-ops. It speaks to our humanity, uh, specifically of how we want to engage with our community. Mm-hmm. That's uh, that's great, Fred. So that's that's your five points, um, mm-hmm. and so that's all the questions that I had. But is there anything else you'd like to add before we wrap up? Um, no, I'm just thankful to be here. Um, I'm glad to be part of the larger conversation that you're creating, and I just want to say thank you for for having me. Right, great, thanks so much. Um, well, it was a pleasure to have you here today. So uh, we'll end it there. But uh, join us next time on the Common Share.